following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. You're listening to episode 14 with a special guest from the rotable aircraft company known as Terrafugia, who visits with us to talk about flying cars, sport pilots, composite aircraft, and more coming up now on this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello, friends and fellow podcast lovers. Welcome to episode 14 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa, joined with Carl Valeri, Victoria Newville, and Rick Felty. Let's do the pre-flight. We have a very, very, very special guest today that's going to be coming on the show. But before we get to that, I wanted to make an announcement. You may have seen uh, on the website... And the Twitter feed that the Stuck Mike Avcast does have a mobile phone application. Uh, at first, it was only available on Android, but just recently it was approved in the iTunes App Store. So you can go ahead and download the, uh, the Stuck Mike Avcast mobile application on your iPod Touch, your iPad, your iPhone, or your Android device. And actually, later on in the show, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about those applications uh, as my pick of the week. So please uh, stick in for, for the long run, and uh, why don't we get started? Now entering cruise flight. Actually, this kind of stemmed from uh, episode 13. You were telling us you went to the meetup down in Barnes. Yeah. And I guess you met a gentleman there during the meetup uh, <laughs> who works for one of our favorite flying car companies. <laughs> yeah, one of them. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we, it was just, we were, we were, I was there and we were all having conversation about this and that. And, um, eventually enough things got said and I realized that, you know, there was someone sitting across from me that had some interesting things, uh, to talk about with regard to aviation and his career and all that. Um, and so, uh, we, you know, we talked and agreed that it might be fun to, to chat online and let people listen to, to some of the things we were talking about. Cause it's all very interesting. Um, the company we're talking about is uh, Terrafugia, and they are the they are the company that you've been probably reading about, unless you're living under a rock, um, that is working on the uh, rotable aircraft uh, that's called the Transition, and um, you've probably seen them at many many air shows. Anyway, um, uh, that's uh, that that's the principal focus of our conversation tonight, as well as some of the interesting things that go into making that happen, and we'll walk through uh, a bunch of those things. But our guest tonight, we want to welcome to the show, is uh, John Telfian. Did I get that right, John? You did. Very good. And you are a senior engineering technician for uh, Terrafugia. That's right. And uh, so welcome. Great to have you. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, well, welcome. thank you for having me. I, I listen to you guys all the time and I enjoy it uh, immensely. Cool. The check's in the mail for that comment. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so I just, well, I thought, you know, I've got some degree of structure to this. We had talked, a few of us had talked earlier. So why don't we, it's always good. It's an aviation podcast to talk a little bit about, because you are a pilot. So um, maybe a little bit about your, your pilot experience, you know, how long have you been a pilot? When did you learn? You know, what are you flying now? Those kind of things. Well, um, I started in, uh, I believe it was, uh, 1989. 
uh, with lessons. I used to buy the magazines and read them, and my wife finally said, why don't you just do it? So, uh, so I got my license in 91, and uh, typical renters, you, this was in uh, Fall River, Massachusetts, back when the, there used to be an airport there. And uh, typical renter, you'd go and you'd do your little flights and come back and, and uh, uh, you know, built, had a lot of short flights, a lot of tours of Rhode Island, which is where I live, and uh, giving, you know, taking people for scenic rides and um, just kept building time slowly that way and, and enjoying VFR flying. And eventually, uh, what is about eight years ago now, um, kids were out of school. The house, our mortgage was actually, was almost done. And uh, my wife said, when are you going to buy an airplane? I said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, what are you waiting for? <laughs> I says, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so um, I started looking around and I met somebody who, uh, who wanted to partner. So we set up a kind of a partnership. And uh, so the two of us own a, a, a Skyhawk, a, a 1999-172. Cool. And uh, so now, of course, you can fly more. It is, it is uh, I won't say it's cheaper. It doesn't make sense. But uh, <laughs> as I tell people, because I want to. Right. Because I, I want to do it. That's why. So Very cool. Uh, and you flew that to Barnes that day, right? I did. Yeah. I did. I've, Along with uh, a co-pilot. Uh, yeah, I took, uh, we have a, a, a Corgi and, uh, I was, my wife was off and I was, uh, I was do- doing the dog sitting thing. And, uh, I said, I didn't tell her ahead of time cause she thinks he doesn't like it. I think he loves it. But, uh, so yeah, uh, Griffin and I, uh, flew to Barnes and, uh, had a wonderful, uh, breakfast with you guys and, uh, met the UCAP guys and, uh, yeah. like that. Cool. So why don't we um, talk a little bit about what you do in your role as senior, senior engineering technician for TerraFugia, because it probably touches on a number of projects that they deal with, but it might be good to set the stage for what your role is. Sure. Um, well, I'm, uh, those that know the company know that it was, it was a nucleus from MIT. Uh, I did not go to MIT. Um, I went to the University of Rhode Island many years ago, but I've been in boat building for 30, 31 years. And we were building um, very top-level racing sailboats out of carbon fiber, high-level composite stuff, including uh, we've built nine America's Cup boats. And so wow. uh, my background is in, is in composites. And um, I went out to Oshkosh in 2007 and met this group and uh, had a, just a brief conversation because they were very busy at, the, at their booth. And they had a folding wing on a stand, and they were cycling that a lot. And I had a brief conversation, and I, I came home, and uh, I mentioned to my wife that, that there's this group building a carbon fiber airplane up near Boston. And she says, well, why don't you see if they're hiring? Hmm. I, she said, you, you always wanted to build an airplane. And I, I said, well, that was a retirement project. She says, well, what are you waiting for? <laughs> so I wrote to them, and uh, I said, you know, gave them my history a little bit, and uh composite it was custom boats so every boat was is different mm. so there it's really a lot of uh, development work in in high level composites and uh, i emailed that off and 20 minutes later I, I got a call it said how soon can you get up here wow and so so i said well maybe tomorrow because it was in the afternoon <laughs> so anyway i went up and visited and met the group and uh, uh i've been working for them now for i'm um, in my yeah after f- four years so far yeah wow well, so just let me interject that it sounds like your wife is a key influence in a lot of facets of this story. 
uh, yes. <laughs> most pretty, supportive, most supportive all around. I tell That's you, great. Uh, yeah, it's been great. So we, we just celebrated our 40th anniversary. Wow, well, that, that's huge. Congratulations. Yeah. congratulations. Um, why don't we, I mean, in case people don't know what we're talking about with a rotable aircraft, um, and okay. you know, we, we will probably later make reference, to, not in this discussion, but in other things, to flying cars and the history of that idea. But, but um, why don't you walk through what, what Terrafuji is doing with the transition? What's the concept of the, of the uh, vehicle? Well, um, first of all, we call it a rotable aircraft because it's a lot easier to be an airplane that goes on the road as far as regulations. But obviously, when you need to explain it, we call it a flying car. <laughs> so when I tell people, what do you do? I, well, I build rotable aircraft. They look at you. I said, it's a flying car. Oh, <laughs> that they get. So right. it's okay to refer to it as a flying car. Okay. But uh, that's why that whole thing came about. Um, what happened, this um, Carl Dietrich, who was getting his PhD at MIT in, in uh, aeronautics and astronautics. Uh, he had he had a dream. <laughs> you know, this is something that he's been, I asked him once, when did you start drawing this? And he said, when I was 12. So uh, he got his undergrad and his master's and his PhD in, at MIT. And um, he put together, he had some friends and they kind of put together a group. Uh, once the light sport rule came out, it started to gel that, you know, you can start an aviation company under the new product that's that's not, you know, without the huge, huge uh, uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars of entry cost for the certification. So the life sport rule kind of came about at the right time. Um, Carl uses, uh, there was a survey done, and this is this is what Carl typically used for his, for the, uh, I don't want to say justification, but for the, the push behind this concept of a rotable aircraft. Um, there was a survey done of why general aviation isn't used more for, for transportation. And one of the biggest reasons is safety and the, the image. And of course, the biggest, a major part of the safety is the weather. So right now you have three options if the weather goes sour, if you're a VFR pilot, one is to land and wait, the other is to turn around and go home and get in your car. And the other, of course, is the worst option is to push on and maybe it'll get better. So this gives you a fourth option of landing, continuing your trip on the ground. So that, that kind of takes care of one issue. Um, Door-to-door time. In other words, you, you leave your house, you get in your car, you bring your luggage, you drive to the airport, you take your luggage, you park your car, you take your luggage and pre-flight and get ready fly, reverse it at your destination. So typically that the, the at each end of your trip, it can be 45 minutes to an hour. So the concept here is you put your luggage in the, in the, in the vehicle in your garage, you drive to the airport. On the way, you stop at the 7-Eleven and get some gas. And then uh, you do your flight, and then you land, fold the wings, drive to your destination, all without doing that whole shuffle at each end. So that was that was another reason, and obviously another reason is the transportation at these small airports. You know, we've all visited these small airports. You look at a bunch of Cessnas and Pipers, and then you turn around and come home. And so this gives you another option of being able to easily see the area, get off from the airport environment, and see the area. So that was another one of the factors that were pointed out of uh, you know why this hasn't why general aviation isn't more widespread. 
So that kind of gave them the impetus to put this together. And they actually did a, uh, they had a competition for a business plan competition like many schools do. And so this, this, the group put together a business plan and I don't, I think the first year they didn't win and then they refined it and went back and they ended up getting second place out of 163 entries of MIT students. And that's, that's a pretty good place for a recreational thing and a flying car yet, no less. So <laughs> they went, they won some seed money and they promptly went to Oshkosh with that money. And uh, this was in 06, I believe. And uh, that, that's how the, the company got started. That, that, that uh, business plan is, is how they started the company. Wow. So uh, uh, that's, cool. that's how it began. So, you know, as I got a chance to talk to you, because I've seen the, the, the prototype, I think it's a, was a, is a proof of concept vehicle, proof probably concept. the one I saw. Yeah, first. And, and, uh, maybe, and, and, you know, there's a couple key things that you, that you notice and you want to ask about, <laughs> because if it's, it's kind of doing two different things, how does it do that? And um, so my guess is it's gone through some, th those were the challenges to be worked out. But one of them being, for me, the, the interesting thing was the fact that the, the same engine does both the pushing of the plane, and you can tell us maybe about, about the, the prop and where it's located and how that works. But that same sure. engine, you know, can, if the right switches are thrown, drive the car and, and push the wheels uh, forward, right. which, is, which is fascinating. And um, the other the other thing that's sort of the cool thing you you, you kind of like to demo because the visual is is the wing and how the wing uh, gets out of the way. So it might be interesting, and I don't know if you if you guys have any questions either, but to get into some of that, how were those attacked or what are those challenges? You know, how, one and how are they doing it? The engine part, especially, right? Think, you know. Well, the first engineering challenge they wanted to uh, to master was the wings because obviously. If you say to a pilot, "Oh, your wings can fold up," that's that's not a good thing. I mean, they, they just want to they want to. How did you how did you beat that uh, that problem? And um, so that was the first thing that they that they went after. And literally, the mechanism has been refined, you know, in subsequent trials. But it's really the same concept as they started with. Um, those that that haven't seen it, it hinges at the wing root. And then it also hinges halfway out and it folds. Uh, I kind of like to demo it with, with your elbow. You bring your hand in close to your body and put your elbow up in the air. That's how the wings fold. And uh, once they're folded, the vehicle fit in a, in a standard side garage, which is one of the challenges to make it you know, for size wise. Um, so the, the, that's an electromechanical uh, mechanism. It's basically a, uh, a little motor turns a, a screw, and there's a there's a, a bearing that follow or a, a threaded uh, bearing that follows the, the threads, and it pulls the wing in. And there's a uh, a carbon fiber uh, rod linkage out to the outer wing, and so as the inner wing is rising, the outer wing is folding under, and they come up parallel to each other and vertical next to the vehicle. So that's, that's kind of how that mechanism works. And the, the, um, in the, in the mid-wing span, the hinge pin is at the bottom of the wing. So when you're getting lift from the wing, it's actually it's tightening. It's, it's being pushed together. I think that's a so, really cool point. Do you guys, you guys follow on that? Basically, in flight... Right. As there's lift, the the wing is actually more 
connected. It's more solid, or if you know, it's, it's pressed. It, it, yeah, it's just pressed together. Mm -hmm. And at the wing root, uh, there's a hinge, and that hinge goes about five degrees past top dead center. So the more lift there is, the more it's trying to go against a stop. Uh, you know, it's not trying to fold the hinge; it's trying to unfold the hinge beyond what's being allowed. So that's that's how they handle that load at the wing root. How about negative G's on that? Well, uh, there is on the 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 whole wing at the wing root. There's that uh, threaded rod that handles the negative G's, and then in the uh, mid wing, there's a little. It's kind of like a oh, it almost looks like a half a dog bone, a little T that comes up, and part of the mechanism, part of your preflight, is to make sure that that the little bar comes up and interlocks and is flush on the top of the wing. So you can, it's a very visual thing. You can look at it and say, yes, my lock is, is flush with the top surface of the wing. And therefore I know the outer wing is locked. Again, it's locked for negative G's or sitting still on the ground. And then on the inner wing, there's a little panel that's mounted to the, uh, the leaf of the hinge. And when that panel comes up and is flush with the rest of the, of the fairing there, you know that that hinge is in the proper position, that it's gone past top dead center, and it's the more lift there is, the tighter it's getting. So th those are the two mechanisms that they've that they put into the into the system to make it all, uh, you know, to make to give you confidence in the wing folding mechanism. Now, John, I, I actually do have a kind of a question. I'm not sure. really familiar with engineering as it goes, uh, but you know, obviously, you didn't. You probably worked on this this wing concept uh, and on the computer but do you actually get to build did they build test wings you probably didn't go out and fly it and see if it collapsed because that's not unsafe but I mean do you take it beyond uh, you know computer render uh, a computer version and actually make a mock-up yeah. and test it how do you go about doing that well the first thing of course is the computer and you can you can model these things in you know, on the computer and have them do their motion, you know, right on the screen. So that's, of course, number one. They made a couple of small models. They made one the the year in in 2007 when I went to Oshkosh. That's what they had. They had a half a wing, you know, one side on a stand that they cycled. I think it was every 15 minutes, and that wing has been cycled over almost a thousand times. Uh, and it hadn't failed. It had some issues, but it, it certainly never failed as far as the mechanism. So that's that's how you kind of uh, proof the mechanism. As far as structurally, I don't know if you've ever seen them how they how they load test the wings. They basically mount the wing upside down, and you put sandbags on top of the wing. And we need uh, it, for light sport. We need to uh, test these to six G positive loads. And 3G negative loads. Um, you, you well, so we've been up to on the proof of concept vehicle. We essentially did that. We mounted the wing, uh, each wing upside down, uh, as a pair because they because you're dealing with so much weight, you want to balance it. And we loaded it up with uh, sandbags, measuring deflection, obviously keeping track of the weight. And uh, we've we've had that wing, the proof of concept wing, up to 4G. Uh, with just the static loads of the sand. So clearly when we were doing our flights, you know, on the initial flights, we were certainly not going to exceed that. So, mm -hmm. 
Okay, so so you you've got the the concept wing. You know, it has to fit the parameters that the FAA designates for production. But do you also take it beyond those load capabilities and see, you know, so you know that yourself the design would go to say for instance nine g's that's when the wing snaps do you do, you, do engineers take it that far yeah, well they what they do is is they and number one i i am an engineer but i'm not in the structural part of the world and i've been i've been building things for so many long, i don't i don't remember much of my engineering education if you will but um what they do is they design it they first of all they say okay uh, the safety factors, let's say one and a half times, and then they go four G's times one and a half times, mm-hmm. say of the expected, you know, what the possible loads could be. Okay. So there's a built-in safety factor for, um, you know, minor build problems or something that uh, you you're well beyond what it should ever see. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, yeah. Cool. Well, one of the things that I thought was interesting, I mean, why don't you, definitely the engine in that situation is, okay. is we should go to, but but in getting there, why don't you describe what you do as a user to go from being a plane to a car, for example, or okay. whichever way you like to describe it? Well, in either in either direction, the, the, the path there is pretty much the same. Um, you have to be on the ground, those weight on wheels. You have, the wheels can't be rolling, so you have to be stopped. The engine has to be turned off. You have to enter a pin number for security. So your 16 year old won't unfold the wings in the garage. Enter the pin number and that allows you to move a lever which will unlock the pins in the wing that either hold it up or hold it down if you will. And then there's uh, a switch to run that little motor which will activate the screw the screw mechanism which will make the wings fold or unfold and they take give or take 30 seconds uh, you can actually land fold your wings drive away without getting out of the plane wow if you if you're gonna if you're arriving to fly you drive onto the airport you unfold the wings and just like all good pilots, we do walk-arounds. You check that lock, that mid-wing lock, and there'll be the usual walk-around uh, items to check before you go flying. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the one of the um, couple of uh, fixed uh, uh, premises that they wanted to maintain, one was they didn't want you to have to get out and unbolt the wings and them like they did in the aero car, uh, which was designed in the 1950s, or they wanted it to be from inside the vehicle. They wanted to be able to fold and unfold the wings. Um, they didn't want to have any controls su- serve dual purposes. So you're not flying with the steering wheel, you're flying with a stick. You're not dri- you're driving with the wheel. You get in, there's a steering wheel, a gas pedal, and a brake pedal. Very normal, common things. Anybody could get in and drive this. Any pilot could fly it. You have a stick, you have rudder pedals, the throttle is up on the console. So everything is a very familiar position and uh, familiar acting. None of the controls get, uh, let's say the aileron controls, nothing gets connected and disconnected. Everything stays connected. Hmm. So there's no, uh, gee, did I put the pin in for this or did I do that? Nothing gets disconnected. So the um, you know that was those were some of the the key points they wanted to do, and they use that as and that's what it's designed around. If can, you will. can I ask about the pedals just to so sure, are, sure. basically are there four pedals down there then is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's yeah. a gas pedal and a brake pedal, and 
yeah, the gas pedal is a little closer to the the center line of the of the well driver mm-hmm. uh, than perhaps we're used to. The oh. Rudder pedals are outboard. Outboard, okay. Um, but nothing. It's very comfortable. It's cool. it's the kind of thing you hardly notice, you know, right. once you've located them. Now, how does the so the so now you know you you're making the switch. The engine's off, right? But right. you throw some kind of switch that says I want to do the other thing now, right? Well, um, yeah, <laughs> there, there's 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 one kind of lever we we kind of call it the drive fly lever. It's when you're driving, it's in this position. When you're flying, it's in that position. One of the things it does is lock and unlock the wings. Um, I also at the root. That that hinge at the root. There's also a a, a a bar that comes up and rests under that hinge. So as you move this lever for to fly, the that bar comes up, the mid wing lock comes up. That there's a little transmission, and I'll describe that further. That train changes from the wheel drive to the propeller drive. So and I'll describe that in a few minutes. But uh, so this lever does all these functions. Wow. And that lever, by the way, is is totally pinned and locked. Uh, if you're flying and you get your camera strap hooked around it, you're not you can't move it. I mean, wow. it's it's solid. So that's uh, you know that there's an interlock there that prevents oh. any movement. Wow. So yeah. So um, now the so the engine. <laughs> okay. Well, what kind, it's what a kind Rotax, of just, it's a Rotax? Okay. It's a Rotax 912. Eighty uh, percent of the light sport airplanes seem to use a Rotax. It's a hundred horsepower. And the reason they everybody likes it, it's the lightest hundred horsepower you're ever going to find. Um, so mm. it's with the light sport rule, with the weight restriction, you really need to be light. That's mm-hmm. the key to the whole thing. So uh, it was kind of a natural choice for us. We've been working um, with uh, Lockwood Aviation. We started with them, and 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 we've been direct to Rotax and dealt with them. Uh, and they've kind of blessed. The, well, the use of the engine uh, as we'll be using it. Uh, that the engine's located right behind the the uh, passengers. That's two, obviously a two seater for light sport. So there's a firewall behind you, and the engine is right behind that. Um, it's it's a pusher prop, so that we're everything's heading in the back, if you will. I see. Yeah. Um, the the Rotax has a nine has a uh, a gearbox on it, which brings the the RPMs down to what a propeller would like to see. And that's kind of built in with the engine, if you will. And from there, we joined to a carbon fiber drive shaft. It's, I don't know, it's about, uh, let's say, four-inch diameter, but it's very light. Mm-hmm. A typical universal joint type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it goes about four foot long. It goes back to a, to a custom transmission box. Uh, well, it's not really a transmission. It's forward, neutral, reverse, and propeller. When you're doing the propeller, it's straight through, and there's like a, a finger joint uh, to join the inside this transmission. Mm-hmm. The, the drive comes straight straight from the engine through the shaft in the front of the transmission, out the back of the transmission. There's no gearing; it's just one to one, right out. And then the propeller's in the back, and it's a pusher propeller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, th- and that that finger joint there's no clutches or slippage or belts or it's just a straight through drive it's a mechanical joint there that's that's not going to uh slip or have any issues of failure there should should be fine there um when you want to drive that 
joint, those finger joint gets separated. So now the propeller is disconnected and locked. You know, what you don't want is the propeller even spinning with the motion of the, the car as you're driving. The, the, the airflow would make it spin. And if you're sitting at a light and this propeller is slowly winding down and you're behind it, you would kind of wonder what's going to happen when the light turns green. So the propeller is locked. It doesn't rotate at all. Uh, and it, 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 it's a three-bladed prop that locks, um, you know, in, in a position, one blade vertical and the two down at, at the, uh, towards the bottom. Mm -hmm. uh, and so once that's disconnected, now you have forward neutral reverse in this box. And this is all, this is done with a push-pull cable. And it, the, the drive, most, the, the output of that uh, transmission comes out the side of the box. So forward neutral reverse comes out the side and mounted on that shaft is a CVT belted CVT transmission, which is a continuously variable transmission. So it's, it's an automatic transmission essentially as you accelerate the, uh, if you're familiar how these work, it started in snowmobiles and things and now they use them in, in some smaller Hondas and, and other small cars. Mm -hmm. Um, the hybrids use them, I guess. Um, it's a, it's a belt with some pulleys that, and it's it, the faster it spins, one pulley separates, which means the, the the ratio goes, you know, towards a higher gear ratio as you accelerate. And so it comes out the side of this this transmission, goes down towards where the if you think of the the axle between the two rear wheels, uh, down there is a is a differential, and then it goes out to the two wheels, uh, the rear wheel drive. Hmm. Uh, down at the bottom there. That I mean, I thought as you described this to me before, that's a pretty interesting thing to, to solve. <laughs> and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And um and they sounds like they have and, and you know, or the, the team has and uh it's pretty cool. And that happens when you pull that fly drive lever. Yeah, that will disconnect the propeller, lock the propeller, and then now you have a lever that's forward neutral reverse. Wow. That's and that's cool. what you have control of in the cockpit or in the passenger compartment now because we're a car that's cool well well you know because there the other thing that i wanted to touch on and i was going to do it later but maybe we can do it now because i think we have some questions for you about this sure. which is the um as it relates to some of this figuring everything out there are clearly sets of regulations uh for both <laughs> functions of this device this right. vehicle and I, carl i don't know if you i thought you maybe had some questions about that yeah, yeah, just a, a couple of questions, John. I actually in the uh, early '90s, I was an investor in a project that was a rollable aircraft, and uh, it was a, a gentleman here in Florida. And a uh, couple of things we ran up against was the weight issue, and I was wondering if you could speak first about uh, how composites have changed that over the years. Sure. And also number two, and I, I don't know if I'm getting the name of the organization correctly, but it's like the National Driver Safety Council. It's a, a government organization, yeah, which we a, ran up the, uh, against issues with every single piece of that airplane or rotable aircraft, excuse me, uh, had to also comply with their standards. And if you could speak towards that. Well, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. NHTSA is the, is the organization that uh, keeps our cars safe. I mean, it's it's the one that uh, deals with the crash worthiness of the cars, and the you know how you how they get designed, um, which is way harder than anything the FAA could throw at you. I mean the uh, the um, designing is relatively easy. Designing a car 
the book is uh, four inches thick. I mean, it's huge. Um, I was not directly involved in this, but I obviously I I know how it progressed, and I know the challenges that that we had to meet. Um, you know, I'll, side impact, front impact, uh, your head bouncing around inside. What can you hit? Your knees. You need knee bolsters. You need. Um, you know, the seats have a certain load factors they need. All of these were well beyond what any aircraft has or, or needs to have to be legal. So, yeah, the, the uh, building a car is hard. <laughs> it, and the regulations are, are really uh, pretty massive. Um, but we have met what we feel is most of them. We, we did apply for a couple exemptions, which I'll, I'll talk about in a sec. Um, but it, it was a challenge, no doubt about it. On top of that, we were limited by the light sport rule uh, for the weight limit. The typical light sport is 1,320 pounds. That's with two people, baggage, fuel, and the vehicle. Uh, that leads to a vehicle, you know, for the, uh, for the actual empty weight of the vehicle, around 900, 850 to 900 pounds. Wow take away 141 pounds, I think, for the engine installed. I mean, you can see where the weight goes really quickly. We had four <laughs> yeah. wheels rather than three, three wheels. The decision was made to, we, you know, three wheels is a motorcycle. They don't have anywhere near the requirements that automobiles have. But uh, the decision was made. We wanted the stability of a four-wheel vehicle because the, the wings are going to be up there. And, and uh, uh, we just felt that aspect would be a lot safer, but of course led to a lot more challenges. Um, we did, well, and all, let's start off by saying we, we got an exemption from the FAA. We, we applied to them and, and asked for a, an increase in the weight limit and still remain light sport. Um, we ended up with, we were given the extra 110 pounds that the FAA gives to uh, amphibians and, and float planes. Uh, they give them up to 1,430 pounds. So that's where we settled in at. So we have the exemption. And our justification was because we need all these added safety features of, a, of an automobile. And uh, by the way, we, we have worked with the FAA from literally from day one. Uh, we used to, and again, not, I say we, not myself, but uh, we would have people go down to Washington and they'd meet with the FAA and the EPA and the DOT and then and the NHTSA people, and uh, it was the alphabet groups of, of Washington was was, uh, was the trip. But And they've come up to our shop, and they've been very supportive and very helpful. They look at the safety aspect of, of what we can offer and that they really they really think that's a value. So they've been very good, and, and like I say, from day one, we've been working with them. Um, so we got the exemption for the added weight, which was a good thing. Uh, we applied to the EPA so to classify us as an airplane because the Rotax has carburetors. You're never going to meet the uh, emission requirements of an automobile. There's just no way you could ever do that. Hmm. So um, they said our, our justification was 80 to 90 percent of the time when the engine's running, you're going to be a, an airplane. And certainly when it's revved up, if you will, and putting out more exhaust. Um, as an automobile will be light use, 
we're also obviously a very limited, I mean, if we could build as many of these as we possibly dream of, we don't come anywhere near what an automobile would be as far as manufacturing. So because we're a very uh, small manufacturer, the EPA said, okay, you'll be an airplane, even though you'll go on the road, they classified us as an airplane. So that was that was a, a major hurdle. That's interesting. Um, it, and I'm jumping a little head out of order, but the next thing is California. California has much stricter stricter emissions than the federal government. So we applied to them, and it's something that they really don't give out because they regulate virtually every type of internal combustion uh, vehicle and, 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 and unit except for airplanes. So... That was a that was a little harder fight, but they also classified us as an airplane, so that was a major hurdle uh, that we that we got uh, we beat that one. Wow. Um, we did apply for four exemptions from the NHTSA standards, which is the crashworthiness of of an automobile. Uh, one being the uh, the windshield. The windshield in a car has to be safety glass, and what happens is if those have ever had a, an impact from something. The glass breaks into little pieces, but is held together, so it becomes almost opaque and hard to see through. And our justification there was, if you had a bird strike, suddenly you can't see through your windshield, would not be a good thing. So we also obviously would rather have a lighter weight windshield. So they agreed, and we're, we're, we can use a polycarbonate uh, windshield, um, you know, like most planes have. Um, Advanced airbags. Advanced airbags are basically they determine how heavy is the person in the seat and then they'll fire off the airbag with a certain load to match the weight of the person in the seat. That's going to be required from I think it's this year forward. Well, we got an exemption from that. And basically, again, limited manufacturing. Uh, and it's only for a few years. It's not it's not a permanent exemption. So we have to work on that. But in order to get us going, if you will, uh, they allow you, you, you plead financial uh, inability to meet the standards because it would take you know, probably a million dollars to, to meet that kind of a, of, a, of a, develop that kind of a safety feature. So they gave us an exemption for that. Um, we couldn't find any tires that were appropriate that were passable as, as a passenger car tire. So we do have tires that are road tires. They'll handle the speed, but they're not from a passenger car. They allowed us to do that. Um, and the last one was electronic stability control. That's required on cars. Well, we don't have an electronic stability system, hmm. so we, we uh, have an exemption from that. So those, those four major exemptions were kind of the last hurdles that we had. Other than that, we meet all the requirements of an automobile. Um, side impact, rear impact, front impact, all of those uh can be handled and and it wasn't easy but uh it's a talented group of engineers wow that is great i mean i just love that i love that that's happening and that people are working on this i think it's really cool um one of the things that we talked about because and i want to touch on for a minute while we have time is right. um your is your experience um with composites or, or just to tell us more about composites because i didn't know anything about them and you know and maybe maybe the rest of the group here on the on the show does, but, um, you know, t just from the basics of what, what are composites, how are they made and, and what kind of, you know, challenges are there in, in, in working with them to make an airplane? Um, well, composites 
as the name implies, you're taking um, a couple of items, putting them together, and the concept is that they're they're better than anyone. The, 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 together, they're better than anyone would be alone. And in general, what that means is you're taking a fiber and you're taking a resin and you're putting them together. And when I when I try to explain composites, I, I, the first composites were people mixing straw in with mud to make bricks to build houses. Mm. The straw strengthens the mud and the mud holds the straw together. Hmm. And together they work together to to make something that's stronger than either one would be alone. So that's the same concept. The in our case carbon fiber, but you could you could say fiberglass, you could say Kevlar, there's ceramics, there's all kinds of composites. The major ones are fiberglass, Kevlar and carbon. And we're dealing with carbon because it's the strongest and can lead to the lightest structure. So, um, and you're dealing with a resin. A resin is simply a liquid that turns into a plastic. And how that's done, there's different kinds of resins. We use epoxy resin. That's the strongest that to use with the, the carbon. That's that's appropriate match. Um, so, the fiber, the strength comes from the fibers, from the carbon fibers, but the resin is needed to hold those fibers together and hold them in matrix, so they don't, so they can't move. Right. So that's your goal. And there are it, matrix options, right? There's ways that you deal with the fibers. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can the the direction that the fibers are are are, are laid down uh, is where you want to move your your uh, your loads. Uh, I, as, as when I give talks to like sixth graders, I'll say um, engineering is really very simple. All you're doing is taking the load from one place and moving it somewhere else. So you're taking in, in a bridge, you're taking the load of the roadway and bringing it up to these cables and then along. And so you're just transferring loads. So it's the same concept. You put fibers in the direction you want to transfer your loads. I have my wing loads here, and I want to move them. And, and typically, you move them, but you also dissipate them. You spread them out. Hmm. So as you take those loads and spread them out, that's the orientation you want to have your fiber direction. So that's the concept. And again, you hold it all to, in place with, with, uh, with a resin. Right. Um, there's one more aspect that helps you build things a lot lighter. If you took two layers of carbon fiber and put them together and put the resin in there, obviously you let the resin cure, it would still be very flexible. Huh. But if you took those same two layers and put them each side of, let's, I'll say, a, a piece of foam core, maybe a quarter inch thick, suddenly you've added a little bit of weight because the foam is very light, but you've made the, the, the whole panel has gotten incredibly rigid and stiff. Hmm. So that's how you end up making things light is by taking building a sandwich, having a lightweight core and having a very strong skin on each surface of the core. And the concept is as you try to bend that panel, the the uh the carbon on the outside of the of the bend has to stretch in order for the whole panel to to, to flex but the carbon fibers don't stretch. They're very resistant to stretch. So as you try to bend it, the outside skin takes loads and doesn't let the panel bend. 
So that's what makes a stiff structure. And it's light because there's a very light skins and, a, and a, the panel in the center is foam and there's a lot of air in there. So hmm. it's very light. So that's how you get a stiff panel that is very light. And some of the things you described to me, just brief, you know, really quickly, is, is that there are layers of directional kind of fibers that are yeah. cross-directional maybe and they are they are potentially i'm just going to say this my way the discrete layers versus a weave which is also possible but the problem with a weave where the fibers are interweaving is that that can come they can loosen through flexing well it, you, is that the did you, i say you, that right you, you said it but let me i'll say it a little differently um you can you can buy all of these fibers and let's just say we buy fi carbon fiber in unidirectional fibers. That means all the fibers are lined up. It comes in a, in a sheet on a roll and all the fibers are running in one direction. So if you can take that, the, the, that sheet, if you will, and if you're, you can tear it parallel to the fibers because there's really nothing holding them together. But try to tear them across the fibers, that's when you have to, that's when you, you wouldn't be able to do it. Right. So taking these fibers, they're, they're very flat, um, laying one layer on top of another on top of another. The fibers are all straight. And when you mix them in with the resin, they stay straight. And that's, it's just like you're building like a, a cable or, a, or a, not even a twisted cable, but almost like a solid rod. You're trying to stretch a solid or a straight fibers and you're not going to do that. If you took those same, well, sometimes you need strength in two directions. So you could lay one layer of, of unidirectional down in one direction, and then maybe 90 degrees to it, you put a second layer. So now you have strength in two directions. But of course, the labor of putting two layers is more than put, labor of putting one layer. So another option is you buy a woven cloth. You can take those same fibers, and just like you weave any kind of a cloth, cotton or wool, you, you weave, the weaving process takes one fiber and it goes over one fiber and under the next one and over one and under one mm -hmm. in both directions. And what you're doing essentially is you're taking these very nice straight fibers and you're putting kinks in them. Mm. So those kinks, you can almost visualize that each of those little kinks is being a spring. So as the panel over, over time flexes, uh, the resin can develop little tiny micro cracks, mm. which wouldn't matter if the if the fibers are straight. But now all these fibers have these little kinks in them, huh. so they can act as springs. So, so that's one of the aspects you have to be aware. So you have of. to take that in and consideration when you're planning. You take that into consideration. So, so there are times like in the wing spar, going out inside the wing and across the plane. To, to handle the loads of the wing, there's a lot of unidirectional. It's just a straight tension kind of a thing. On the surface of the wing, we use a woven fabric. It's a, it's, it's, it is a woven fabric, but the loads are different there. You're looking for different kinds of loads. So depending right. on what you're trying to do, and, and, and it depends on how you build it and what fabrics you use. Wow. Well, it's, it's fascinating stuff. It's just a glimpse at what goes into thinking about all that. One of the things that um, I think we want to just just to jump back into the um, into the airplane world a bit sure. here. Um, that I think actually Victoria was was wanted, wanted to ask some questions about the the, the plane itself. Uh, Victoria. Yeah, I was just kind of curious. I don't know how many test flights or anything have been done, but um, typical questions pilots ask like, "What's your uh, gallon per hour burn uh, top speed of the aircraft, or like your service ceiling?" 
Right. Um, it, it's a light sport plane, so um, we're limited to a maximum level speed of 120 knots. Okay. We'll, frankly, like most light sport planes, we won't be up at that range. Uh, cruise speed, well, maximum speed is about 100 knots. Cruise probably about 93, 94. Um, so it's it's not the fastest airplane by any means. Load carrying, we're limited to that 1,430 pounds. Uh, the empty weight should be about 970, I believe. Uh, there's 25-gallon tank. You're only burning typically in cruise between four and five gallons an hour. So 25 gallons is a lot of fuel. So you won't be needing uh, to have full tanks to put some miles in the air. We kind of did that mainly because part of your time you'll be driving. So maybe you'll drive some and burn some of that fuel that way. And then, and then uh, in the air, you might, you know, be taking off with 15 gallons is, is, is quite a bit, you know, that's a, you, with reserve, maybe a two and a half hour flight. That's, that's often plenty. Now this um, is with Avgas, correct? Uh, it can burn either Avgas or premium unleaded. Oh, okay. uh, it, it actually prefers, the Rotax really prefers unleaded. Uh, if, you, if you use Avgas, you have to change the oil more often because of the lead contamination. So it prefers the cleaner unleaded gasoline. Wow, that's, that's nice. cool. With, yeah. with or without ethanol. So that's the world we live in now. So uh, now they're able to, to say with the 10% uh, ethanol, they're, they're, they certify that's good. Uh, John, quick question regarding the fuel. What have you, do you run into any problems if you've got half a tank of Avgas and you want to top off, you only have uh, um, you know regular car fuel available or can you mix it, or do you have to, you know, one tank at a time? I have to say, I'm not sure, but I'm gonna, I'm really sure you, you could mix it. I don't think there's going to be any issues because it can burn on 100% either way. Right. Okay. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb a little bit. I haven't heard that directly, and I have to say, I've heard a lot of questions. I've been to Oshkosh four times, working the booth in Sun and Fun, and I don't think anybody's asked that question. So congratulations. Wow. Way to go, Len. Yay. <laughs> um, I, I, gotta, I, I, I really doubt there's an issue with mixing. So, yeah. so you know, the, the, the big question, I mean, we have we sort of have waited to ask is where, where are we at with the project? And what's the, you know, where are we at and what's the current timeline thinking, if you can talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, it, it, let me go back a little bit. We did our first flight in March of 2009 with our proof of concept vehicle. Uh, we did 28 test flights, but they were all uh, they were all over the runway. We were up in Plattsburgh, New York. It's got a I think it's 11,800 foot runway. Um, it used to be a B-52 base and used to have a tower. Well, now the tower is still there, but it's a non-towered airport. And in January, we were there in December, January, and March, and then finally in May when. There was, you could see some grass. Um, there's nobody up there, so that's where we did our testing. The FAA, uh, we asked them for to work if we could work at Pease, which is also equal length, too crowded, and uh, there's Westover out here, which is a more military. So uh, we got approved to do our testing up there, and it was a very good. They were very helpful and. Uh, to us and they let us have a chase truck on the runway and uh, we used my plane as the chase plane so we did a lot of a lot of testing up there all our testing up there so that was proof of concept uh, 
Since then, we've learned an awful lot about the flight characteristics. There's significant changes, and if uh, you can go to our website and see the original proof of concept. You can see the new vehicles. You can see the differences and and a discussion of why they're different. I think if, um, if for, I'll just jump in and say for people listening to the non-enhanced version of the podcast, if they if they want to go get the enhanced version, we'll put those pictures in the in the podcast okay. from the website. Sure. Um, which is Terrafuger, www.terrafuger.com, exactly. by the way. And we'll, so, be, we'll be linking to that as well. Cool. Okay. Um, so we did our test flights. We learned a lot. Um, we got some better uh, aerodynamic software, which helps you refine the design a little bit better, and made some changes. We needed to lose. Our first vehicle was, was a bit heavy, so we needed to lose weight there. Uh, redesigned. and So currently we're building two prototypes of the, the new design, which is, I won't say is exactly like the uh, production version, but um, many of the items were built in production molds. So uh, any composite, any part you build, you have to have a mold for it. So the first thing is is to get your molds designed and, and built. So many of those molds, we have high confidence that they're going to be uh, in the production vehicle. So we have... Uh, We've, we had the production molds built, and they're, they're more expensive than doing a, a quick temporary kind of a mold. So uh, this is what the vehicle will look like, and we're building two prototypes now. Um, we're just starting testing. We, we're just starting. You start out by, you know, run the engine, spin the wheels, spin the prop, uh, drive around the parking lot. Uh, you know, then we have some places we're going to be more high-speed driving, eventually taxi testing, high-speed taxi testing, and then and then flight testing. So we're just entering the testing phase now. We had, The two vehicles are identical. Um, we're we're going to drive them both and fly them both. But one might might be geared more for, for more drive testing, and one will be geared more for flight testing. Not that they're different, but just mm-hmm. because of the time frame, we need to, we need to get uh, testing out of the way in both modes. So that's that's the plan. And, uh, then you, and you are there. I mean, people have put down money, right? For, for some. Oh yeah, we we have uh, around a hundred depositors. Um, it's a ten thousand dollar deposit. Uh, it's a refundable deposit. Uh, we, this company came about just as Eclipse was having problems and uh, had a very bad reputation of of deposits depositors losing money. So our deposits are hundred percent refundable. Uh, I believe there's a small fee there but it, it's minor um we used to say 100 percent, so i apologize for that um so we have 100 depositors in there right now we're estimating that's probably a a, a three-year wait of early production you know you start slow and you ramp up mm-hmm. so uh it's probably a good three years worth of of vehicles but the first one you're hoping what in a couple of years or i uh, know the first customer deliveries should be the end of 2012. Wow. So we're close to a year away. Cool. And soon. That's, that's the plan. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, maybe flying to an air show near you, I hope, huh? <laughs> yeah, we we have uh, hopes for next summer uh, being able to show we have to fly off. This these vehicles we're building now are classified experimental uh develop, developmental experimental. So you still have to fly off uh typically 40 hours. At, at a particular airport, staying within 25 miles of the airport uh, till they are free to, to take it anywhere. So uh, 
we'll have that to, to get. We hope to get all that out of the way and in time for the summer season. And in the meantime, we'll start we'll start building the next one. So, cool. Wow, very cool. Well, listen, I we could probably go on for another hour, but um, this has been fascinating, and I really appreciate you being able to come on and talk about this. And we'd love to. I don't know if you guys have any other questions. Uh, we can ask those now, but otherwise, I was you know just going to move on to our next thing. But I wanted to say, as this progresses, we'd love to have you back on to talk Absolutely. more about how it's going. Uh, certainly, yeah. As as we go, as as much as I can share, I you know sure. we try to be open we're on facebook and uh, all that so um yeah. you know as much as we can share we like to like to uh, have our our uh, people follow us um as i tell people it's you know for us it, it's easy to get on network television the hard thing is building a flying car <laughs> so uh you know we are interested in, in uh, any any uh, publicity, of course. But uh, so I would love to come back on as things progress, and I'll share with you uh, as much as I can what 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 we're, what we're doing and what stage we're at. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, John, uh, for coming on. Okay, my pleasure. And Thank you for having me. Sure, Len. I don't know if you want to absolutely our next section, our picks of the week. You've got it. So, uh, well, that was our uh, that was our guest this evening, um, John from Terrafugia. And uh, moving on to our picks of the week. This is our segment where we share our favorite aviation products and services that we uh, that we've either used or just come um, come uh, uh, with an awareness of. And uh, this evening, we've got uh, actually a couple that are related to rotable aircraft and flying cars. So why don't we uh, why don't we start with Carl? And your pick of the week. Okay, Len. Yeah, actually, mine, uh, it's interesting that the path uh, towards rotable aircraft is littered with uh, people and investors and letters that have said, thank you for investing, but it never actually took off. Um, Terrafugia has actually uh, done a great job, and they have actually uh, been able to fly. And there's one news organization that I think has done a great job of covering Terrafugia and also... Uh, through video and uh, through also writing and and on the web and and actually this is where I get my information about the company and about many other news items and it's called Aero News Network uh, AeroNews.net is how you can find them and they're they uh, the one thing I really like about them is they're not afraid to give their opinion they have a great editorial column they also report the news unbiased and uh, they will go places where a lot of other news networks will not and they have my favorite videos of the Terrafugia. And so that's my pick, aeronews.net. And uh, Rick. Yeah, you know, so I knew uh, the topic and I thought, I'm going to go find some reading material about this particular topic. So I want to, I've not read these books, but they look cool. I'm going to get them. Um, there are two books that I found that, that I want to, that I want to sort of recommend as being what looks to be, and the you know reviews online look great. One is called Flying Cars, The Extraordinary History of Cars Designed for Tomorrow's World, which, um, is sort of about the big idea of let's let's get a car that we can go go places in you know in the air, um, and that's a that's a hard cover looks like it looks like just a nicer coffee table kind of book, and the other one that's interesting to me is a, um, a book called A Drive in the Clouds: The Story of the Aero Car, which is more about that early stage, uh, you know, a dreaming of this, and um, you know, again, an ill sort of an ill fated attempt when when you know the stars weren't aligned literally in terms of of all the pieces that had to come into play that are now seemingly coming into play. So um, uh, both of those books are available and uh, I would recommend them because for me, they look cool and I love this topic. So that's my pick of the week. Excellent. Victoria. 
My pick of the week today um, has the tagline of girls need flight plans, not fairy tales. And that's part of girlswithwings.com. It's basically a nonprofit organization that uh, uses aviation to encourage girls to reach their full potential. Um, they do this by introducing them to role models that have aviation related careers and hobbies. And they can do that through the website. There's a bunch of activities on there. And then they also sell one of my favorite things, girly aviation clothes. And, you know, I'm going to jump in and say there is actually a, a really cool shirt that I like for guys that they have. It's, yes, think, they have quite a few on there. Yeah. yeah. There's the, the one I, the one I happen to like is that it's a pilot is phonetically spelled on the front and on the back is sort of a general definition of pilot in a pretty serious way, you know, the, a, sort of a leadership, a leadership role kind of thing. And, uh, you know, which kind of touches on what their goal is as well as, you know, what, it, what it's like to be a pilot. So it's, it's pretty cool stuff. You should check it out. Yep. Very good organization. Neat. Um, all right. Well, I'll get to my pick of the week. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, and you've probably heard, uh, I think in the last episode and might've seen in the feeds, the uh, Stuck Mike Avcast is, of course, uh, now available through the mobile phone uh, market, both on hey. the iTunes App Store and the Android market. We do have uh, both versions, again, for the iPhone, iPod Touch, the iPad, and the Android. Um, the application, as uh, the, the, you know, the core features are you can uh, – it, it has the – the Stuck Mike Avcast episodes available for you to view and read and listen to straight from the application. You can also see the Stuck Mike Avcast uh, Twitter feed, Facebook feed. Uh, the, the, our four co-hosts are also available. And uh, the last tab is a Contact Us tab where you can either uh, visit the website or send us an email directly. And we'd love to hear from you guys you know, through email, uh, questions, comments, concerns, anything, topics even, and material you maybe would like for us to cover on the show. And uh, the application is free. In, in both uh, the iTunes store and the Android market. And uh, it is called, it's not Stuck My Gavcast because they are only limited to a certain amount of characters. It's actually called Stuck Mike Cast. Uh, again, that's Stuck Mike Cast. And you should find it under Stuck Mike Cast or Stuck Mike Gavcast. You'll probably find it both ways. Um, and it's available there for download. I suggest you take it, uh, check it out. Let us know what you think. It's very, very cool. Very well done. So, uh, you know, uh, my, my, my idea was sort of a, a one-stop shop for everything Stuck Mike Avcast, everybody's information, and uh, hopefully it works out for folks. I love that you can just play an episode. You know, yeah. you, you're just walking around and you can go, oh, you know what? I missed that one. You don't have to download it. You don't have to get it on your device. You can just go play it. Right. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. The After Landing Checklist. Very cool. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, why don't we ask Carl to give us his contact info? All right, you can reach me at uh, expertaviator.com. You can also find me on Twitter, uh, Expert Aviator, and uh, YouTube, Expert Aviator. Victoria. Uh, you can get me at ToriaFly on Twitter. ToriaFlies.blogspot.com is my blog, and you can also find me over at Aviation Insurance Resources. Wonderful. Rick. Uh, RFelty on Twitter, RDFelty on YouTube, and RotationSpeed.com is my blog. Excellent. I'm The Pilot Report on Facebook and Twitter and my new website, thepilotreport.tv. Um, if you're looking to get a hold of uh, us collectively, the, the, the podcast itself, stuckmygavcast.com. Also on Twitter and Facebook, email us, stuckmygavcast at gmail.com. Again, if you've got any questions or things you'd love for us to discuss or talk about on the air. 
So uh, from myself, Len Costa, Rick Felty, Carl Valentari, and Victoria Nouveau, once again, we'd like to thank our special guest this evening, John from Terrafugia. And uh, we appreciate you tuning in to episode 14 of the Stuck Mike Abcast. And we all wish you guys clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.